0: Good to see you guys welcome if you're nice to be here with you if you're home or elsewhere streaming, watching us online, good to be there with you. I've talked to um, several friends, pastors, church leaders recently who like us have begun streaming during this time and have all said pretty universally that they plan to continue streaming at whatever point it's not necessary anymore. and, and I think we will we will endeavor to do the same thing. It really just gives us another opportunity to reach people. I know that there's always going to be some people who are uh, sick or for whatever reason not able to be here in person and or maybe traveling, and so we will do our best to continue to stream and make it available to everybody. Um, We're going to continue this morning in our little uh, survey of the book of Ruth, Old Testament book of Ruth. We've been uh, in Ruth for three weeks now and have covered a total of five verses, uh, but we'll make up for that this morning. I'm going to uh, power through the rest of Chapter 1 today. Uh, but just by way of review, really quickly. So we've been introduced to a family uh, that was uh, originally living in Bethlehem. They have been driven from their home by a famine. And uh, during that time, uh, the uh, the wife, mother of that family, has experienced a significant loss. Uh, first, her her husband died. While they were uh, in in a foreign country, and then later on uh, both of her two sons died in the interim though uh, her sons were married to two women they met in Moab in the country that they were living in and so she is uh, naomi is is the is the mother the wife she's joined now in her grief really by her two daughters in law Ruth and orpa, and that kind of brings us up to where we are today so uh let's just pray real quick, and then I'm going to go ahead and, and read through the remainder of the chapter. It's a long section, but for context, I think it's good that we read it together, so we'll we'll read it and then we'll uh we'll talk a little bit about it. But first Jesus, we just ask you would uh, open our our eyes and our hearts today to receive your word and that you really would re- uh cause your word to strengthen and enrich us, give us Lord, meaning and understanding, and allow uh, your word to really. Uh, alter and change and and work with us in, in how we live in our day-to-day lives. Amen. All right, so Ruth chapter 1, and we will begin in verse 6. I'm going to read from my Bible, actual written Bible, but uh, the text will be up on the screen, so if you want to follow along there, you can as well. Um, when she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of His people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. And then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown kindness uh, to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband." And then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. And they said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband, a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. At this they wept again. And then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Would you bring me my coffee? My coffee's on the floor there. Can you bring it to me? Thank you. That's a good daughter. All right. Um, so a lot, a lot happening there. A lot, a lot of things are going on. Uh, you, you will recall it's been a decade. Uh, ten years have passed since they originally left their home and went to Moab, uh, forced there by the famine that sort of kicked off all the events of the story. Um, so now uh, the famine has ended, and it's time to go home. Uh, so you also remember, I mentioned last week, in a very real way, the title of the book is Ruth, but it's really kind of Naomi's story. It sort of begins and ends uh, with her, uh, and we're told here by Naomi herself that um, she's tired and she's bitter. And you remember last week, I, I told you that uh, something John Wimber used to say, go through life and you experience circumstances of life and you either get bitter or better, and it's really true. You get bitter or better. Naomi has gotten bitter. Um, honestly, you know, you read between the lines here, she's going home to die. She's given up. She has no hope. Uh, it, it, it's all over. Um, she's going through what I, I think some people might call like a, a dark night of the soul. There's this no matter how strong your faith is and no matter how mature you are in the Lord sometimes circumstances of life just kind of press down on you, and regardless of, you know, who you are, uh, you get overwhelmed by that. And you come to a place where you begin to doubt, you begin to fear, and you you just sort of get into that dark place. And we see this in the Psalms. You know, David is this great man of God, man of God's own heart. And sometimes he writes, you know, how long, O Lord, how long? When is this going to end? A while ago, it's been probably, I don't know, 10, 12 years, but... Um, I, I, thought of this immediately as I was, as I was reading and, and studying this week. Book came out called Come Be My Light. It's a collection of letters and journal entries from Mother Teresa. Uh, and in the book, uh, you know, because she wasn't writing originally for the public, these were private letters, uh, or just between her and God she was very honest and very, very vulnerable. And I think it was a, a bold move to, to go ahead and, and publish the writings. But in some cases, Mother Teresa was kind of overwhelmed by life. And, and she, she experienced some of that same kind of darkness. If you would go ahead and go to the slide that, there. Mother Teresa says, I did not know that love could make one suffer so much. That was suffering of loss. This is of longing, of human pain, but caused by the divine. Pray for me now more than ever. And there's a number of passages in the book like that. And I remember when it first came out, reading a review, and the author of the review was kind of saying, hey, you know, what's the deal? So here's Mother Teresa. She's sort of this icon of of spirituality in this, this, you know, uh high you know high watermark of of goodness and grace and and she's sharing all these doubts and fears she had and he's kind of critical and i remember thinking whoa man you're uh, criticizing mother teresa for being honest so i'm going to just step back right now cuz you're going to get hit by lightning i, I mean it, you know it's just it, it, it was powerful to me i didn't view it that way at all i i viewed it as just a sincere heart of a of a person walking out their faith even when things were hard. So Naomi, who was uh, in conversation earlier this week, described to me as a whiner. Uh, I know. But I will say this. This, this, is, this is my perspective. Is I, I think uh, we need Naomi because I think she gives us permission to not be all together all the time. She gives us permission to question and doubt. She gives us permission to be honest before God. Um, she encourages her daughters-in-law to go home. And, you know, sometimes, uh, honestly, that's the best answer, really. You know, it's do-over. You just take your mulligan and move on, you know. And, um, Orpah buys it. She, she agrees. At first she's reluctant, but she, she agrees that, yeah, you know, you're right, and, and I'll go home. And she really does the most reasonable thing. She does what is, in my mind, the logical, practical, realistic thing to do. I think anyone that weighs the situation out would realize that Naomi is correct and that that really probably is the best thing to do. But Ruth, on the other hand, does a very unrealistic thing. Um... It's not wise in the conventional sense of that word at all. She vows, really, to leave her home, her people, and her God. It's interesting to me, this. Uh, the story is written uh, from sort of an omniscient third-person perspective. There's this narrator telling the story, and it becomes kind of clear, I think, at this point, that the author, wants us as the readers to contrast these two women, to contrast the response of Orpah and Ruth. Um, and I would say this, that Ruth is not confused. She's not naive. She's not foolish. Um, she's, she has seen Naomi's world come crashing down around her without any intervention whatsoever from her God. And she has really, frankly, experienced some hardship and some difficulty in her own life. Um, So I titled the message today, The Gospel of Ruth, because of this moment right here, because that's the power of the gospel. The transformative power of the good news is taking place in the heart of this young woman right here. And in a very real sense, I believe Ruth has a salvation experience here. Uh, And and I think it's radical. It's not just impractical and unrealistic. It's radical. Uh, And you'll notice this. I this this is my favorite thing about this part of the story is that her transformation doesn't come with the promise that you just turn your life over to God and everything will be okay. It's exactly the opposite of that. Everything she's seen, everything that's happened, all the difficulty that this family has endured. I mean, let's be honest. Since she connected herself to this family, nothing has gone right. It's all gone wrong. And yet in the midst of all that, something takes place in her heart that's so profound, it's so powerful, it's so precious, that she says, if you go to the next slide, where you go, I'll go, where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. That's salvation. That, that That is a radical departure. That's a willingness to say, I give up everything. I leave everything behind me, everything I believed, everything I've known, to follow after you and your God. Uh, and it's a powerful thing. Go to the next slide. In verse 14, it says, Ruth clung to her, which is an interesting thing to say. Go one more now, because that word is the same word as Genesis 2.24, where it says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. So in Hebrew, clung and united are the same word. Um, and uh, we know, we understand, I think, you, you know, in a relationship with God, that that kind of commitment doesn't come from human resolve. You you don't just grit your teeth and do 10 more reps and say, okay, I'm in. Uh, you only do that... Uh, in in the presence of God, in the, the ability that He gives you to make that kind of commitment. And the truth is that Ruth here has seen something uh, in, in the life of Naomi. She's seen something uh, just, you know, in the presence of God that in her estimation is worth giving up everything for. Um, the Hebrew word that is used for the, what, what brings about that transformation in her life is the word Hased It's been called uh, the most important word in the Hebrew Bible. Um, it's translated here as kindness. Uh, you, you know, the kindness that, that God has shown you and you've shown me. It's most often translated loving kindness. It's used uh, 245 times in the Old Testament, translated different ways, usually loving kindness. Most often it's used to describe an act of God towards people, but sometimes of like it is here, of people towards other people. And and what it really is talking about is a completely sacrificial, otherly love that it, it doesn't exist in theory or in the realm of emotion. It exists in, in activity, in action. That God does he, Jesus sacrificed his life for us. There was activity involved. It was completely focused on others. And that's what this word has said means. It has inherent in it also the idea of faithfulness. So it's a powerful commitment. It's, it's genuine and sincere, but it's continual. It's, it doesn't, it's not a one-time event. It's a kind of thing that's really, uh, you know, honestly, not that common at all in life, but not today when you get married uh, very often uh in you know wedding vows will say something to the effect of till death do us part but the reality is that's only true about half the time uh how how many of us have had contracts broken commitments broken jobs that you were promised that didn't come through all those sorts of things this kind of commitment that is talked about here just doesn't happen very often it it really has said is a covenant word it, it's a it's a word that's Given in a promise with God's presence behind it, and I wanted to look into it a little bit today because of this reason, I think, that it's something that we all need. Uh, in a world filled with broken commitments, human beings are created with a need for faithfulness inside of them, you know, we, and we need it, frankly, on two levels— we need it on a human level from from other people, from our spouse, from our parents, our kids, our friends, our boss, our employees. We we need that loyalty. If, if you know, if your boss says I'm going to do this for you, you expect that the boss will do that. And if you if if you're the boss and you say you know you need to be here at eight o'clock, you expect them to be there at eight o'clock. That carries out across the board. Um, we also need it on that kind of uh, secondary level of of really knowing that God is there for us, and that that chesed faithfulness, that kindness of God, isn't a momentary thing, that it's not going to be fleeting or go away, that when God makes that promise to you, that that promise is good, it's going to last, it's going to stay, it's going to be there. Um, because of those things, though, I think we, we have to understand that it's, it's, it's one of the key points of attack of the enemy against us the enemy will do anything and everything within his power to try to pull us away from that commitment. And that's always the way it's been in the very beginning with Eve in the garden said, you know, Oh, did God really say that? Nah, come on. You know, Job goes through a hard time. And what does the enemy say? Curse God and die. Jesus is in the wilderness and the enemy comes and says, Hey, just tell those stones to turn to bread. No big deal. It's a commitment that Jesus makes to you and I. And it's the commitment that he asks us then to make towards him. The The thing is this, and I, I want to just kind of close with this idea. I want to leave, leave you with this idea. But the beauty of that commitment is that it, it's it's not carried out alone. It doesn't happen in isolation. Uh, it doesn't happen on our own. It, it It's, it's, communal by nature uh, you know we, we see that sort of a bond developing and we'll see it continue to v- develop over the course of the rest of the book but we see it sort of emerging and developing here in the relationship between Ruth and Naomi where God is drawing their hearts together in, in this this really deep deep kind of commitment um, and 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 the realization comes both for, for Ruth and Naomi in the story for you and I you know, in life, that we really are, we say around here, better together. We really are better together. Uh, The the truth is that neither of these women would be who they are or who they become without the other. That, That they both add something to the other person's life that deepens who they are as a person. And that's how spiritual growth works. It's communal. It bears communal fruit. We don't grow in Christ on our own. We grow in Christ together. It's the only way it works. You, you, can, you can go, uh, you, you know, I mean, I think they, you know even monks go to a monastery, they're there together. Um, not to say that there isn't a place for time alone with God, but by and large our lives are lived out in, the, in perspective of being together with one another and causing and encouraging each other to grow. We are really better together. And so just with that, if you guys want to stand, I just want to read Ruth's vow to Naomi one more time, and then I'll pray. Uh, you know, it's weird right now. Uh, all this distancing. If you need prayer, I mean, I, I just grab somebody and have them pray for you, okay? <laughs> just don't tell anybody I told you to do that. Oh. Just skip prayer six feet away. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God, where you die, I will die. Lord, would you uh, just remind us today that that's the commitment uh, that you have made towards us? And would you just uh, turn our hearts towards you this morning? Turn our hearts towards that place where uh, uh, we have that commitment to you, that we understand the commitment you've made to us, and we say, yes, Lord. Uh, we, we want to go where you go. Uh, we want to live where you live. We want to be your people. We want to be with your people. We want to walk with you. We want to walk together. And, and we really do acknowledge, we confess before you, we're better together. So, Lord Jesus, I, I just pray for our congregation today, whether they're here with us or at home this morning, your hand a blessing this week. Uh, Lord, just cause your spirit to walk with us, unite our hearts, give us creative energy to be able to reach out. Uh, technology can be a two-edged sword, but I know that the, the women had a wonderful time, uh, you know, uh, online this weekend together. And So give us opportunities, whether it's through Zoom or text or FaceTime or whatever, just to be able to connect and stay connected uh, with you and with one another throughout Continue, Lord, to cause your spirit to rest upon um, our nation and the world. Bring healing, Lord. I pray you would bring healing to the strife, the disunity uh, that's happening uh, really globally, but really a lot in our country right now. That you would just bring healing, Lord. That you would bring healing to the racial division, the political division to the angst and the anger and the fear that people are feeling. Even this morning in our prayer time, we talked about how it affects some of us in ways that we're not used to, that it causes us to become more critical and more judgmental. And Lord, please turn our hearts towards you. And then Lord, would you just bring healing? Just bring healing. In the name of Jesus, soften the hearts of people across this nation, Lord God. Cause us to see the value of each and every person we encounter as a created child of God, made in the image of God, regardless of their political affiliation, regardless of their race and their background, that each one is of inexpressible, unlimited value to you. Each one is your child. And so, Lord, would you give us that understanding in that heart today? In your name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a good week